Friars No Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and to my left is Roy. Hey, long time. Dude, we've been doing the, we've been doing the interview week. Yeah. A- and we have with us live, from Prospects Live, Jason Panini. Jason, out in the Arizona sun. Yeah, I'm just basking in the sun, seeing a bunch of AZL games out here, and just living the life, basically. You are really living the life, dude. And I'm telling you, I, I'm jealous. Um, and even for a baseball nut such as myself, I don't really know if I can watch, what, you watch two games, maybe three games a day? Or, you know, you're at the field every day. Yeah, I mean, seeing – well, part of it, too, is um, it's so hot in Phoenix. Even if you're just going to batting practice in the game, you're going to – if the game's at 6 p.m., then the BP's at, say, 3 o'clock. And you could be facing 115-degree temperatures at 3 on uh, – an afternoon in Phoenix. So that's a little draining. I have this actually, let me, let me pull this out. I have this 64 ounce jug of water oh that I uh, bring to the field to me. And I go through probably one and a half of these every day. So, so those of you guys don't see it, it's like, it's like a, it's like a uh, fire extinguisher sized water bottle. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> it's a, it, you know, a must-have scout tool is the uh, massive oversized water bottle. <laughs> you know, one of the quick questions I have for you, um, like I make it out to Lake Osnore a lot, and there's always a, a, a spread, regardless if there's anyone that shows up. They always put something in the uh, in the press box. Do they put food in any kind of – is there any kind of press box there for you guys to, like, even get out of the heat? or? Well, it- for the – for the AZL games, some of the games they do at the spring training parks, yeah. and then some of them are just on the backfields. Right. So if you're on the backfields, then there's definitely nothing in the press box. Yeah. Um, say, say if you're watching um, a game at Hohokam Park, maybe there'll be something up there. But to be honest, I, I haven't really checked. Usually I just go and settle down with the scouts and – you know, if I if I'm showing up to games early, then that's sort of a networking opportunity, and I can chit chat with or try to befriend the scouts in the area. And um, I think that's a little more valuable than you know if there's free food in the press box. Didn't crush in the spread. Yeah, absolutely. So the yeah. the games that are in the like the actual stadiums, like Hohokam or Peoria Sports Complex, do they charge admission for fans that want to go in and watch, or is it just just wander in and take a seat? Yeah, so these these games you don't have to pay for. You just sort of walk up. They uh, they'll they do play games at Sloan Park, Hohokam. I think the Padres, at least the games I've been to, they've played on the backfields over there in Peoria. So, but yeah, um, anyone can pretty much walk up and just watch games, and it's free. So it's it's pretty awesome if you're in Arizona and you're a, a minor league baseball fan. Now they've got the concession stand there. At least they open that up when the games are going on. Um, I don't think I've seen the concessions open. There just aren't enough fans to justify it. Usually there's only, geez, it could be as few as 10, somewhere in the, I'd say between 10 and 30 fans at these, like they're not very heavily attended. Yeah. When they're, when it's like 115 degrees, I can understand. (laughs) It drops to uh, 105 by seven. Oh, that's downright balmy. (laughs) Well, then you hear a foul ball and it goes, clank, 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 clank. You hear it hit every chair. You know, in the foul ball. So let's get let's get right into it. Yesterday, Fermil Reyes and Logan Allen were traded to Cleveland in a three game uh, three team trade. Uh, we receive uh, Taylor Trammell. 
we know about him. Uh, a lot of the Padre fans on Twitter were were just a perplexed and upset about losing Franimal. Well, you say we know about him. I don't know a whole lot about him. I've just I've seen him on you know top one hundred lists. Yeah. So I've read like a quick little blurb, but I walking into it, I could have told you that he was an outfielder, and that's about it. So Jason, please allay our fears, uh, maybe heighten our fears, or make us feel better about uh, losing really a heart and soul of the uh, Padres and Framil Reyes, and uh, you know a great. A stud pitcher in Logan Allen. Yeah, well, I think the first thing I would say is I saw this article on Fangraphs today that um, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel wrote up, and I thought it was very good. I don't know if you guys saw this too, but I tweeted it out this morning, and basically what they were doing is they were looking at potential 40-man decisions that teams would need to make later in the year. So, you know, this comes into play around Rule 5 time when – Basically, each team can only keep the 40-man guy. So if there's someone who's going to be Rule 5 eligible, he would need to get added to the 40-man. And certain teams just have like a surplus of guys who are eligible for these spots. And the Padres are one of those teams. And I think when they looked at the Padres, they had like 48 guys that were going to be essentially in a logjam for 40 spots. So it kind of made sense that some of them might get traded in exchange for players to come back who weren't rule five eligible yet, and then wouldn't need to be part of that 40 man crunch. Um, so their, their post was actually fairly prophetic, I would say. And um, they, they more or less predicted like one of these three guys would be moved and they mentioned Fran Mil Reyes in the post. So, I mean, I was like, kind of impressed when i read that after the fact but oh, those guys know their stuff yeah yeah they're r- really bright guys i bump into eric at the fields from time to time and you know if i can i try to pick his brain because i just i know he's a smart dude but um that's one part of it the other part is i really like taylor Shamel too he was out here in afl last summer or i'm sorry last fall and um just a dynamic athlete this is a kid that um, grew up in the Georgia area and he played football in high school. I know shocker, right? Um, he was a running back and just a really dynamic athlete. And um, I liked him at AFL last year. He uh, has good hands, good bat speed, his stride and his load are a little short. Like when I watched his swing, sometimes it was a little bit linear. Um, lots of like line drive type contact. Like he, he, doesn't know how to tap into his power fully yet but you watch his batting practices and even uh, i'm thinking back to the previous two futures games and he was just putting on amazing displays of power in bp so this is the kind of guy who he's he's still learning to tap into his raw power and he has some pretty legitimate power potential let's say at least 55 to 60 um, on the scouting scale but some people would say more there's there's legitimate raw power there. He just needs to kind of learn to fully tap into it in game. Um, he's played primarily left field in his minor league career. I was actually looking up his uh, baseball reference, and he's played 236 games in left, only 89 in center. But he's a really electric, speedy player, like 70 runner. And um, I, think, I think the consensus in the industry is – He's, he doesn't get great reads off the bat. Like he's he's not a, he's not a super instinctive defender, okay. um, and that's 
that's sort of why he's ended up in left versus versus center. Um, but he's just all around, uh, I'd say, a very impressive physical athlete. And he's had a down year this year, too. So I actually wouldn't view that as a negative. I'd kind of view that as the Padres took advantage of a buy low situation. And um, I still like Tramel. I still believe in him. We're doing Prospects Live Top 100 lists, and um, those guys came out with their fantasy lists already, but a few days ago, I actually submitted like my kind of scouting or quote-unquote real-life Top 100, and I had Taylor Chamel in, I think, around 20th overall. Like I had him ranked pretty highly, despite kind of having a down year, so I still believe in him. I still think he's a dynamic athlete with you know, more than everyday potential i i think he could be an above average you know everyday player for the padres and i also saw on twitter today that he's supposed to be playing center field for san antonio so that's interesting and different i mean he hasn't played a lot of center in his career but if the padres if the padres think he can transition and play center field then that's you know that's a good omen and a good sign so I wouldn't. I wouldn't put anything past Preller. I mean, he's a smart, dude. This guy. Uh, he's one of the people who like doesn't sleep and obsesses over baseball. That's that's someone you want to be your GM. So, <laughs> um, I was. I thought it was a good move for the Padres. I, I like Tremel a lot. So what I've read about his defensive side is that he's got the speed, um, and he's got the the quickness. Uh, he doesn't necessarily take the most efficient routes, um, and yeah. people seem to be critical of his arm. So that's where the left field comes in that he's definitely not going to go to right and they're critical of what he does in left you said that he doesn't use his about the tapping into his power um i see in pictures he's got a thick lower body because he was a running back and it's just the build but he doesn't Mm -hmm. then at the same time they say that he doesn't use his lower body in his in his swing a whole lot so that's where there's some power to tap into Uh, and then the other thing i'm going to ramble on about you mentioned the rule five consideration and taylor trammell is not eligible for rule five uh, until December 2020. So there's no reason for them to add him to the 40 man until yeah. next year. So this year they can, I mean, cause there's guys like Buddy Reed, Jorge Onya, um, Esturi Ruiz, uh, Darius Valdez. There's a whole bunch of interesting players that they're going to have to make that decision about this off season. Um, so the other guy that was involved, the, at least on the Padres side, the Padres sent Victor Nova from the Padres to Cleveland did you, have you had a chance to see Victor Nova? Is he anybody that caught your eye? Yeah, so I actually saw him a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago. So I sat on the Padres Rookie League, the AZL1 team, which is this just loaded stack team. I mean, C.J. Abrams is on that team. Hudson Head's on that team. Josh Mears is on that team. So, I mean, those are three pretty highly drafted kids. Uh, Nova was on that team as well. And I saw him play two games, and – this is more of like a kind of a initial impression because I only got him for 10 plate appearances in two games. But to me, he just, he looked like a fairly versatile, you know, guy who can play third guy who can play outfields. And um, he didn't show too well for me with his bat. Um, in the games that I saw, he only had one hit. I think he went one for 10 or one for 11, something like that. I looked up his season stats. Like I was thinking, should I write this guy up? Should I not write him up? And he had had a pretty decent season at, in the AZL so far, but he's 19. Um, I just, 
I didn't see enough of him to really justify writing him up. I thought he was potentially a guy who, you know, best case scenario might be like a utility guy, but he's more likely just kind of this guy who maybe makes it to the upper minors and fills in if there's injuries or that type of thing. I, I didn't really view him as an impact player that I'd be concerned about losing. So um, probably more good news from, from your guys' perspective. Yeah, and kind of random, you know, they just kind of throw in an AZL guy. And it reminded me of when we, how we got, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. was we picked him out of, out of the Sox, White Sox AZL squad, basically, right? He hadn't, he had left the complex, and um, I think I read an article from uh, Dennis Leno, one of those guys on uh, in The Athletic, talking about how the San Diego organization has been looking deeper in for these valued players and looking in the AZL and well, looking at the other, you know, the, the rookie leagues. But in Tatis's case, he had a relationship with Tatis and his father and all of that. Yeah. He'd scouted him, he tried to sign him, and he wasn't able to. He wound up signing with the White Sox instead, so... I have a feeling that Preller does a lot of that. He sees somebody, follows them, and then keeps his eye on them. And if that person comes available, snags him up. I don't know if uh, if anybody on the Cleveland side has that kind of a follow through. If they had their eye on this guy already, <laughs> right. or if it's just, hey, we need another. You need somebody. Give me give me somebody middle infield. You know, yeah. <laughs> and then they open up the roster. And how about that guy? So, Jason, real quick, and what a lot of people, the average Padre fan, I think, is going to see is is they're going to see the 230, what, 236 or 239 batting average. Oh, on, on Trammell. Yeah, on Trammell. And, uh, you know, my question is, so is it in the Chattanooga? I'm not sure what league that is. Um, is it a tougher league to hit in? Is it's, it it's a the pitchers Eastern, league? It's the Eastern League, double yeah. A. I think it's actually, the, I could be mistaken. I think it's actually the Southern League. Um, oh, but, that's right. Yeah. To be honest, I don't. I've never seen a game out there, so I'm not sure if it's necessarily like a hitter-friendly league or a pitcher-friendly league or whatnot. Um, I guess what I will say is, if you're truly going to just look at the stats, I don't think these stats are indicative of Tremel's talent level. And he actually is a very patient hitter. Like that's kind of the thing that's been most consistent about him. And his offensive approach through the years is he has a good feel for the zone and he doesn't really expand or chase very much. Like this is a guy that um, piles up a lot of walks. And I think that's, it's sort of an, I would say unassailable part of his profile. And the rest of it is just, will his tools play and will they get him to where scouts think that he'll be um, and think he has potential for. So I have a I have a theory that I was thinking about. So he's the stud on that Chattanooga team, right? I, I don't know what the what the rest of their talent is like at that level. So if I'm the opposing manager or the opposing pitcher and I see that guy, <laughs> I'm not gonna give him anything right. to swing at, right? I'm gonna pitch around the edges, I might Very you know, possible. a bunch of breaking stuff, so then he's just gonna stand up there and spit on everything and take the free the free base. Yeah. Which you can't teach, right? And that's something you really want to develop. I, I don't know how much validity yeah. there is to that to that theory, but you know, it was I'm just not something. Sure, yeah, <laughs> I will say, I will say, with the power potential, it's. I know you mentioned this too, but it is very, very short stride. Not a lot of like lower half involvement with his swing. Um, I don't know if that carries over to how much he would hit for average type of thing, but um, there's there's serious tools here. I I wouldn't get too caught up 
looking at the 230 average and, and dressing over it because I think, I think this is a legit player. Well, the, the short stride and the quick hands are good. I would think you wouldn't really want to mess with that. It's just a matter of getting a little bit more hip rotation, a little more leg drive into it, so then the average doesn't change, but a little bit more power comes. I have noticed, so um, somebody on Prospects uh, Live, I don't remember who, they did like a, a stats-driven top 100 article that was really interesting earlier this year where they took each of the top 100 guys and they found something statistically that was interesting about that guy. And they pointed out with Trammell that his uh, his ground ball to fly ball rate has been improving every year in the last three years. So he's okay incrementally getting the ball up in the air, less of a ground ball kind of a hitter for what it's worth. Yeah, I think that must have been Smata with uh, Miner's Graphs. And yeah, that was a really great list. I love how he how he kind of was analyzing trends and, and looking at different statistical things and applying them to his top 100 list. That was, that was a really neat article. That was really clever because you, you, you become familiar with some stats, but then how do you apply them? How do you, yeah. you know, use them to find somebody that stands out or see where somebody's changing over time? It was an interesting like demonstration of what you can do with, with the data and all the different metrics that he used throughout that article. It was really cool. So moving on, God, let's start with C.J. Abrams. Uh, there's been a lot said about him. There's not guy that he's still hitting. He's only not hitting one game. I just heard that he was sent to Tri-City. Is that correct? I don't know. I saw that on Twitter. Oh, is that correct? I'm, I'm glad that I saw Padres won before he got promoted, if that's I, the case. <laughs> that is unverified right now. <laughs> so while you riff on C.J. Abrams, uh, we're going to look this up. Yeah, I can just talk about him for a little bit. This is this is a really exciting kid. I mean, 70 runner plus bat speed. And kind of the scary part about watching him in AZL was it didn't necessarily look like he was, I'd say, 100% engaged all the time. Like, he didn't look like he felt challenged by the level, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And um, I almost felt as though him facing higher levels of competition in the minors would incite a, a higher gear out of him or kind of be extra motivation for him. And that was also something that I remembered scouts talking about with Tatis as he was coming through the minors. They would say something like, oh, well, yeah, Tatis is good, but he, I think as he gets higher in the minors, he's going to actually kind of play up to his level of competition. Like, He's not dogging it, but not necessarily 100% engaged all the time because he just he's so talented. He kind of feels like he's better than his competition and um, higher levels of competition actually can bring out more in those type of players. And I thought I saw a little bit of that when I watched Abrams. And that's kind of scary because he's been crushing the AZL and frankly dominating. So if there is another gear in him, then that's... Uh, that's something all of us would like to see. <laughs> you, you know that here I go with my, my conspiracy theories again. Uh, Adrian Morihon just got aggressively promoted up to the big leagues. And uh, other than some rumblings I heard earlier in the year, nobody seemed to think that he's ready for it. But I was wondering if that's kind of what they saw in him, that maybe he's bored at double a, maybe he's not challenged by the competition. Maybe he just isn't interested because he thinks he's, because he believes that he's a big league player deserves to be there. 
so that's I, I thought maybe they moved him up to say, okay, you think you got it? Let's see what you got. Um, so it, I haven't seen the transaction for Abrams yet, um, but no, I've seen yet. somebody saying that he's been moved up. Uh, so again, that is uh, that it's it's not verified. <laughs> okay. So on the defensive side with with Abrams, um, people say that he has a hard time making throws from certain angles, or or that his mechanics something or other about him moving off a shortstop. What do you think of his chances to stay at shortstop? And if he were to leave, where do you think he would go? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's – I don't watch Abrams and think this is a polished, sexy defender at short. But I do watch him and see this is crazy athleticism. And kind of what I saw was I thought this was a guy working too close to his max speed. Like I saw a guy who maybe if he worked at 80 to 90% rather than 100 that he'd actually have better body control and um, have have generally better results defensively. And yeah, the arm isn't, I, I wrote in my piece on prospects live, I thought the arm was maybe 45 or 50 and that's really not ideal for short. I, I do think he could stick at the position, but I mean, it's not going to be the strength of his profile. Um, if he does have to move off the position, I mean, the, how long are the Padres going to have Tatis for, right? Um, how long? <laughs> Forever, and I, guess part, I hope. Yeah, I know. And I guess part two is, will Tatis stick at short long term? I don't know either the answer to either of those questions, but should Abrams need to move off the position? I could definitely see him playing in center. I just, I think the speed is electric and it would really play well in center fields. So you know, when you're moving from a premium defensive position to another premium defensive position, it's not really hurting your value that much. It's, I guess what I'm saying is it's a really nice fallback option for Abrams. Um, I just, man, this is, this is a special profile. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are not a lot of guys whose backup plan is center field. I guess I'll say that. So I've got a question is from a, a scouting grading kind of a standpoint. So you throw out a number on where, where you see somebody's arm. Um, but so for a shortstop, there's arm strength, there's accuracy of the throws, there's the ability to make throws from different positions, different angles, um, mm-hmm. you know, going to the left, going to the right. Uh, how does all of that factor into, because there's on the scouting grade, on the 20 to 80 scale, there's only one spot there for, for arm. How does yeah. that factor? I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I'd assume the way it works with teams is they have, I mean, they grade the the pure tool. And then after that, it's, you know, comments on the tool. So you'd have notes, you would say, works well to the right, works well moving forward. Um, arm works well from this angle, but throws from this angle were, how, you know, below average. Right, right. Um, so you would you would grade the strength and the accuracy as as separate things and then you know maybe maybe condense them into a total grade i mean it's uh it could be challenging to be honest for for me sometimes you don't get enough looks at a guy like maybe you only get to see him throw it um i don't know three or four times in a series right. some of those might not be max effort throws so you're kind of crossing those off and then you're kind of trying to narrow it down to the max effort throws. And then um, if you can get an infield practice in there, that helps because a lot of times you'll see guys moving to different directions in infield practice. 
you know, they'll hit them ground balls to their left. They'll have to charge one. They'll get ground balls to the right. And then you'll get to see kind of the arm action of their throw and how quick their release is. Is their footwork good? Stuff like that. So you're kind of piecemealing all these things together to try to figure out, you know, at the end of the day, what, what does the arm tool look like? And yeah, for me, yeah, watching Abrams, he definitely didn't stand out as like, he didn't pop as being an electric defensive middle infielder. But I thought his athleticism was so good that he could probably still stick at the position and uh, be you cromulent there. Maybe not special, but good enough to, to stick. And then, you know, obviously having center field as your fallback is like pretty, pretty fucking great. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and you also don't want to like, you don't want to automatically draft a guy in, as a shortstop. And then in, within the first year, you're like, okay, go play center field. You know, that's kind of right. really kind of disingenuous of, a, of an organization. Um, Hudson Head. Oh, yes. Talk dirty to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, All right. Seeing, well, some, seeing some of the video, we'll just let, let's preempt that with, like, seeing some of that video, I loved his bat speed. I mean, it was, uh, it looked, it looked elite. Yeah. Head is, he's a really interesting dude. So, one of the things I do when I prep for the AZL teams that I sit on is I'll look through their recent draft and I want to see, are there guys who got significantly over slot bonuses? And I looked at the Padres draft and I looked at Hudson head and it said 3 million. And I think he was the third round pick. So 3 million is crazy for a third rounder. That's essentially first round money. And it was the money that he got was between the slot value for picks 22 and 23. So he was essentially paid first round dollars in the third round. So, I mean, I think this, this guy's a special talent. The, the bat speed that you mentioned is legit. Um, I do think there's some length to his swing. There's, he creates separation. He kind of keeps his hands up somewhat late, but I, I just saw bat speed and, pretty powerful hip rotation through contact where this guy didn't seem late. So I wasn't super concerned about the length, even though I do think there's a little bit of length in his swing. I just saw a crazy bat speed and he hit 500 in the looks that I had on him. So he was rifling balls all over the place going the other way, just really impressive overall. And I seeing him and seeing Abrams in the same lineup it just made it that much more evident that the bat speed is special because, you know, I'm watching Abrams and I'm like, yep, that's really great bat speed. And then I'm watching Hudson head and it was pretty much on par with, with Abrams. So that really stood out to me. And I thought it was something that was uh, kind of too much to overlook and just jumped out at me. Well, and why would you think that they would spend, you know, a, a 3 million on a third round guy? I mean, why wasn't he picked up somewhere earlier uh, from another organization, what did we see that someone maybe someone else didn't see or was maybe a little bit lower on him? Do you think that's a great question? I'm I I don't follow the amateur side nearly as closely as the pro side, but um, Hudson Head was a guy I had not heard of before draft day, so it's really surprising to see him. I guess you could say slip through the cracks like this because obviously there's 29 other teams and they all scout the amateur side heavily. So um, 
Yeah, I don't I don't have a good answer to that. That's All okay. I can say is I saw Hudson Head and I really liked him. <laughs> <laughs> so so to to let everybody know, you did a um you did a write up of a bunch of AZL players uh focusing on the Padres. Um and there were a few names on there. I mean, obviously Abrams, Hudson Head, you wrote up Tirasor Nellas, which I'll ask we'll ask you about in a little bit. Uh but a couple of these guys were lesser lesser known. So Brandon Valenzuela was I I've read his name before but I didn't know anything about him before I uh before I saw your article. What was it that uh that caught your eye about him? Was he somebody you wanted to look at or was he somebody you just decided to write up because he stood out to you? Yeah, so Valenzuela was a guy I had never heard of until I actually saw the Padres AZL1 team in person and he was just this smooth defensive catcher and he struck me as a guy who has legitimate potential in a backup catcher type way. I don't think he's going to be a star, but I do think he just has, he has this aura about him and he carries himself in a way that I think he's going to work hard. I think he's going to kind of get the most out of his abilities. And I like, I just, in general, there was a fluidity of motion to, and kind of a grace in, in the way that he moved behind the plate. Um, I also looked at his swing and he hasn't had a very good statistical year in the ACL, but I liked his swing mechanics and I was a fan of him in his batting practice. I thought the just consistency of barrels in his batting practice showed that he has some bat control there. Um, he hit a pretty nasty double to walk off one game I was at, um, put a couple nice swings on the ball. I, I didn't see like a lot of wasted motion in the swing. I just saw a swing that was, um, I'd say I'd, I'd probably label it a slight uppercut swing, but it didn't look overly long. It looked like he was trying to do damage at the plate. And I, in general, liked the swing. I, I thought maybe the bat speed was mm, a tick below average, but in general, I just thought he was a guy who has potential and even though the numbers haven't really been there this year could be a you know backup catcher type and he, to me that's interesting like there aren't a lot of guys in azl who, who even project to be that so i mean a guy who's kind of a role player is actually someone pretty valuable on an azl team well, catchers wind up having long careers in the minors because at least for spring training, you need so many catchers right. with all the bullpens that they that they wind up catching. Um, sure. So Brandon Valenzuela, he's 18 years old. He turns 19 in October. He's from Hermosillo, Mexico. Nice. A new name for Padres Nation to follow. <laughs> yeah. No, we. I find. I, I mean, I like hearing about the people's stories, where they come from, right. and what their background is. You know what what. Because yeah, we want to follow the guys that are hot shot going to play for the Padres one day. Yeah, but we also like hearing about the you know the journeyman guys that some of them have really interesting stories. So you never know when you're going to find somebody that becomes and who maybe this guy is going to be. I mean, like AJ Kennedy's somebody that comes to mind that has been a Padres ca a catcher in the Padres organization for a long time. Yeah, he's a very good defender. And it seems like that's just that's his his calling is to be the the defender to work with the pitchers 
in the middle in the middle minor leagues with the Padres. What he's trying to say is we're not prospects snobs. You know, we 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 want to hear everyone and we want to tell everyone's story. <laughs> You're not too good for the for the org guys or everyone else. Yeah. No, not at all. You. I I look at everyone. You know, if if there's a player out there, you know, he's there for a reason, and I want to I want to see what's up with him. Yeah. Well, we get the chance to talk to some people from time to time, and some of them really do have interesting I mean, it, what people do in the offseason. Yeah. I, I was out in Fort Wayne. I found out that one of the guys that plays there is a uh, substitute teacher in the offseason. I mean, that's, I, I, just, I think that's kind of interesting. That is way cool. <laughs> Who was that? I can dig that. That was Lee Solomon. No kidding. Yeah, Lee Solomon. He's such a, such a personable, friendly, uh, in, uh, just good guy. Kind of guy you want to hang out with. And he's a beast. Yeah, like, like the guy's thick. Like, I'm Lee Solomon. I'm your substitute teacher. Yeah, Ange- right, Angela actually complimented his thighs. <laughs> she's a big. Uh, oh, I love it. She's I big... love it. I'm all about the thigh compliments. <laughs> yeah, she likes uh, Ken Caminiti back in the day, and he would wear his pants extra tight. Um, either that, or his thighs were so big he couldn't find anywhere that fit him baggy. <laughs> which was the uh, which was the sign of the times, or uh, you know, the style of the time, uh, the the tight pants. Uh, Josh Mears, uh, Jason, um, it, it seemed to. You know, brother does this, and I think he, you know, he he picks these guys that, you know, maybe they're under slot, and they're not, you know, we're not. He picks guys where they're not supposed to be picked, like Josh Mears is a, another guy I think, uh, talented athlete, but not necessarily should have been picked where he was picked. What uh, what did you see from Josh? He's a yeah, big so boy. he is a big boy. This kid is strong. Like I think I wrote in my write up, he's one of these kids who looks like he's a 2% body fat, like just pure muscle kind of guy. And he's really strong. I think I tweeted that he's a tank. He is a tank. He's strong as hell. You're going to get, you're going to get big swings. There's big power potential here. I think the big question is how much of his power will he get to? And I saw legitimate 60 raw in, in batting practice. And when I looked at the game swing a little bit flat, a little bit a lot of effort in the swing like mm-hmm. you could almost see him through his follow-through kind of drifting back toward the catcher and um that's something that i think mm, makes him a little slow in his run times and he's a good athlete he played right one day played left another and he dh'd um the rest of the game so most of the time i saw him dh'ing i'm a little bit worried about him maintaining mobility to stay in the outfield because he's already such a big kid as it is. And I don't look at the body and think it's super projectable because he's already big, but if he does add weight, it's at the risk of pushing him to a first base only DH type role. And that's something that I'd be a little concerned with being a Padres fan. Um, I think as of right now, he still has enough mobility to play right. And He's a cannon. I, I saw him unload a couple throws, like probably 60 grade. But if you wanted to get frisky, maybe 70. Like, he has a really good arm. Um, so, like, as of right now, I still see him in the outfield. But there is risk here that he's going to get too big. And, you know, if that happens, that really hurts his profile. Because, obviously, if you're switching from right field to first, now you're really going to have to crush it to – and hit a ton to make right. it work, which, right. I mean, while it's not impossible, it, um, to me, it's something that uh, throws a monkey wrench into his profile a little bit. So I thought it was interesting in your write-up, and, and you, you mentioned this, but I wanted to kind of highlight it, that 
in his follow through, his his weight is carrying him toward the back of the box, and that makes it hard for him to get out of the box with any speed. It's like he's stepping in a hole before he gets out of the box. Is that is that kind of what you were trying to get at? Yeah, basically. I mean, I actually had someone on Twitter tweeting at me, like, he looks faster than 40 grade in this video. And I was like, that's my video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, he does look faster when he's underway. I think underway, he's probably a 45 or 50 runner, like fringe average to average. But the thing is, most of your runs, most of your runs are from home to first. They're not from home to third. So, I mean, how often are you making runs where you're totally underway? And um, I think in general, your quickness and acceleration, that kind of speed plays a little more in baseball rather than kind of like your full straight line speed. Um, so to me, I, I still think he's more of like a 40 runner, but that's not to say he's not a good athlete. This guy is an incredibly good athlete. And um, hopefully he stays mobile enough to stay in right because I've I love seeing him throw. And if if he ends up at first, you're just not going to see that that cannon of an arm go to good use. Well, and, and it's such a, a such a like a lost art the 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 cannon outfield arm. Uh, we, we got one in Hunter Renfro. But to to kind of riff on Josh here, you know, the DH is coming to the NL. And unfortunately, unfortunately, whichever side of that, yeah, two, three, four years from now, yeah, at twenty two, twenty three. Um, so these guys that are young, that are powerful like that, like there's going to be a spot for them. There's going to be room for them on the roster in Major League Baseball, um, even so big, so young, because of the DH in the National League that, that should be coming in the next few years. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe this is a really forward-looking Preller thing where he says, you know, I like this guy's bat. If, if Say if there's a, you know, 50 60% chance the NL has a DH in three years, then like that's maybe that's a part of his calculus too. I don't know. So what you said about speed made me think, so we've got some very fast players in the Padres organization uh, and a couple of them have gone through Fort Wayne recently. Um, and I'm just going back on this because my wife and I went to Fort Wayne, that Chicago trip I was telling you about earlier. Uh, and so Xavier Edwards was there earlier this year. Um, mm -hmm. Robbie Podorsky was there last year. And so the question that I've had on my mind is who's faster? Because people say that both of these guys have top end speed. So I asked Blake Hunt, who's played with both of them, the catcher at Fort Wayne. And he said, Podorsky, hands down, is the really? faster guy of the two. But his, his answer came with explanation. He said that Xavier is quick. So making the quick moves, the first five steps, he's way fast, like faster than anybody he's seen. But then once you get underway, like you were saying with Mears, um, once he gets underway, then nobody catches Podorsky because he's just so quick. Like so, going first to third, maybe the 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 break, the first couple steps, Xavier would be faster. But then by the time they're around in the base, Podorsky would be the quicker guy. Ah, I, interesting. I, I, oh, interesting. I, I find that you know, kind of like we were talking about throwing, that there's there's the 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 grade itself has different components to it. So if, if there's something mechanically that they can work on, so yeah, you see like you're, you're, you got your stopwatch and you're counting his time uh, home to first and that's going to put him in a certain box. But then if there's something about the way he's swinging a bat that might save him a couple tenths of a second, if you can get him out on his front foot a little bit more or just more balanced, maybe that turns the guy from being a 30 runner to a 35, which makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little 
skeptical of that. I think a lot of like, swings are hard things to change. It's not impossible, but I think the risk reward for trying to alter a guy's swing for, you know, gaining, maybe gaining half a grade to a grade in his run is a little bit of risky thing. Um, but we're just, yeah, here. We're I'm, just... Just, I'm just thinking of all the, uh, I don't know. I'm just, I feel like there's so much muscle memory that goes into yeah. your swing and it's, it's not impossible to change your swing, but it's something that it takes a lot goes into it. And it's um, like when I'm evaluating players, I, I want to acknowledge swing changes can be made, but I don't want to assume that they're going to be made and made swiftly and easily kind of thing. Sure. Those kinds of changes take a long time to, to set in. So from a bio, yeah. biomechanics standpoint, the way that Mears finishes kind of leaning back like that and his weight kind of on his back foot, is there is that dis is there a disadvantage to how he swings the bat? Is there like improvement that could be made if he got that out of his swing? Uh jeez. I know I'm kind know of putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the I hope that was rhetorical. I don't know the answer. <laughs> it, it was a little bit rhetorical. <laughs> what I felt looking and what I felt looking at that swing with with the with the back swing, it looked reminded me of Tory Hunter. Like, oh, Tory yeah. Hunter had that upright stance and that follow through where like it, it all went all the way to his back. So when I saw him I'm like, wow, it looks a little bit little bit like Tory you know, Hunter. Dante Bichette kind of had a little bit of that where he finished kind of leaned back a little bit. Yeah. Anywho, right. <laughs> All right. Moving so, on. so uh, I'm I'm going I'm picking off the lesser known guys. Brian Torres uh, is another person you wrote up here. He's a shortstop, um, and again, he was a name that I I think I saw his name when they signed him in the J two class, whenever it was a couple years ago. Uh, but I didn't know anything about him before I saw your article. So, what can you tell us about Brian Torres? Yeah, Torres is this guy who. I don't see like a ton of loud tools from him, but I just see this. There's a palpable polish to his game and he plays, he can play short. He can play second. He can play third. He's just very versatile. And I viewed him as this kind of high IQ defender that can play everywhere and do a little bit of everything. And I just looked at him and said, you know, there's a realistic chance that this guy can carve out like a niche role as a super utility guy. And he was also a guy that I saw, you know, good bat control, just was kind of, was making consistent contact in my looks and um, nothing about him jumped out as being, you know, incredibly flashy or sexy or anything like that. But I just, I liked his overall polish for the game and um, he just struck me as a smart player. So um, I think that's that's probably a ceiling, to be honest. I think it's probably more likely that he's a guy who kind of settles in the upper minors and maybe gets a few cups of coffee in the majors and kind of is an up-and-down guy. But um, I think there's utility guy potential should he kind of hit his ceiling. Well, when you're talking about somebody who's 19 years old, um, he's listed at 5'9", 165 pounds on baseball reference. So he's he's not a big guy, but there's still... I mean, at, at 19, nobody's fully filled out. Right. And you never know how somebody's going to develop over the next three, four years. So who else on there, uh, who else down there did you see that, uh, that kind of piqued your interest? Oh, man. If you want to talk pitchers, I really liked Miguel Rondon. And this kid's a 5'11 Venezuelan kid. And 
I had never heard of him coming into that week and I got kind of lucky. So the way I've been doing it, as I've been trying to sit on teams for at least five days in a row, or it, I did six for the case of the Padres um, because I wanted to, basically I wanted to try to make sure that I saw all of their pitchers. And um, as it turned out, Rondon went, he started the last night I was planning to see the Padres. So if I had, for some reason cut it one day shorter i wouldn't have seen him and i wouldn't have you know all this cool stuff to talk about but i really like this kid he's not physically imposing in any sense he's only 5'11 he's kind of a skinnier kid but his fastball was up to 93 mostly low 90s but up to 93 and he just showed really advanced feel so um in addition to the fastball he had a curve in the low 70s with pretty sharp, nasty break on it. And then he also had a, a low 80s changeup. And the thing about uh, Rondon was just advanced pitchability. He would go to any pitch in any situation. And I felt like the hitters were just kind of hapless. I mean, they didn't know. He would go curveball twice in a row and then change up. Like just something that very unconventional sequencing that would keep hitters off balance at all times. And I just viewed him as this really advanced control guy who has a chance to probably have three pitches that are above average. And I think it, I wouldn't even rule out him adding a fourth pitch because he's young and he just seems to have this advanced aptitude for pitching. I was super excited watching him. I, I wrote him up pretty aggressively saying he could be a back end starter, which is, I mean, they're, aren't many guys in the AZL I would even feel comfortable saying have starter potential. So that's actually a fairly bold statement. If you kind of contextualize it for the league, um, there might only be a handful of guys in the whole league that project to be starters. And I think, I think this kid is one of them. So when you, when you go to, to watch these games, um, do you keep score? Are you charting pitches? How do you, because when I'm watching a game, I might be able to tell whether it's a fastball or a breaking ball, right? <laughs> but I'm not really paying attention to what did he throw last time? What did he throw in this count the last time he was in the situation? Um, mm -hmm. how, how do you stay on top of all that stuff? Because there's a lot of data to unpack right there. Yeah, there is a lot of data. So for me, basically, I kind of came up with a system that I work with and I have a little notebook and I write the lineups on my notebook and then I write the pictures and I just write everything I see that's happening, whether it's mechanics, whether it's something that I noticed that is sort of a trend based where maybe it's a guy swings at first pitches a lot. Maybe it's this pitcher likes to go to this pitch and this count. I'm trying to observe really everything I can. And, you know, I'll view the game from different vantage points. I normally watch from behind home for like the first couple innings and then innings three to five maybe i'll watch from the sides and try to look at swings and try to look at mechanics and i'm just really looking to see what pops and what stands out i don't score the games it's it's kind of too much to keep track of right. you know this guy flew out to left and then i'm also looking at mechanics and i'm also looking at other things i do try to somewhat keep track of trends if there's a player that I know that I want to pay attention to, then, you know, maybe I'm trying to make note of, oh, this guy's hitting too many ground balls or 
you know, this guy has swung at the first pitch 40% of the time or just things like that are, especially for a player that I know that I'm interested in, I'll kind of give a little more attention to the guys that, um, that I think are intriguing, but at the same time, I don't want guys like Rondon to slip through the cracks either. So, you know, you kind of have to keep your eyes open for guys that stand out and guys who maybe don't have the big name or the prospect pedigree, but they're also legitimate names in their own right. They just haven't maybe made the name yet for themselves. Yeah, I, I have uh, an appreciation for the memory that you must have to be able to remember the second time a guy comes up, you go, oh, hey, he rolled over one and hit it. Because I started playing adult baseball this year, and I'm out in the outfield, and the guy is shouting over to me, hey, what did this guy do last time? I'm like, I have no idea. He's, you know. <laughs> is it the mean, same guy? I, I mean, I recognize the guys. I can tell the difference between them, but I couldn't, you know, what he did last time. Right. Yeah, there are a couple right. of people that I might remember, but – and, oh so, man, you'd be shocked. I forget so much. I try like my my little notebook is my crutch, and I think something's relevant. I'm writing it down. So that's when. So I, when I tried to write up a game while it was happening, um, I, I was taking score, and then the in, the game went into extra innings, and I ran out of columns, and I found I was so lost because the things that happened in between. It's like, what did this guy do the last couple times up? I had I had no idea. I was completely yeah. lost. Yeah. When did the relief pitcher come in? I have no clue. See, it's so hard if you're charting pitches too, and you're trying to keep track of that. I mean, there there are people out there who are working in baseball, maybe with a video job, and they'll they'll be tasked with charting all the pitches, charting the outcome of the game, and some of them are also trying to become scouts too. So like they'll also trying to be scouting on top of that. And I just think it's so difficult to try to do that and then scout on top of it. It's, it's really hard. Scouting, scouting alone is very difficult. And um, I think it's something that just takes a lot of practice and you really have to dedicate time and effort and reps into even becoming a mediocre scout. It's, it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do at all. Well, and you were, you a couple of years back were an associate scout with the Brewers, right? Yeah. So it was actually last summer I, I did uh, independent league ball for them in the Chicago area. So when you were talking about the heat of Chicago summers, I was just nodding in agreement. <laughs> PTSD. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. So you also have a guy named Alexuan Vega, left-handed pitcher with the Padres two team. Oh, Alex. Um, Alex Vega, I think, or yeah. Alex Juan Vega. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's an interesting dude. I think he has some relief pit, relief pitcher potential, really good athlete. And I had in extended, I had his fastball somewhere in the 92 to 95 range and really nasty curve. I think the curve is a breaking ball. I, I don't know if it's classified as a curve or not. It looked like a curve, um, but really nasty plus breaker didn't command too well at all for me uh, the last time I saw him which was a couple weeks ago and that's really going to be the thing is can he get his command to a point where the fastball curve combo can potentially get him to the bigs and you know I don't think this guy's a star I think I think the kind of ceiling for him is a high you know a leverage reliever and the more likely scenario is he's just sort of like a dude in the bullpen who's not really special. Right. Um, 
But uh, yeah, he's interesting. He has some good stuff. I like his athleticism and the fastball curveball combo are a little bit intriguing. So Alexa Juan Vega, he is six foot two. He's twenty years old. He he's from Puerto Rico, and so I I find that interesting. He was drafted in the sixth round in two thousand eighteen. And a while back, we were talking about the international signing process. Yeah. And uh, somebody was pointing out, I, I saw this video on Twitter, and this guy was pointing out the disadvantage that Puerto Rican players have because they don't have the opportunity to go to college, to go to a J2 school or a community college or something like that to further their career. Um, and they don't get the same level of education in Puerto Rico that students do in the, in the States. So a kid drafted in the sixth round isn't going to get sixth round money if I'm, where so that might have been a guy i don't know what he signed for but he probably signed for five or ten grand right just to get a chance well and with puerto rico they're under the same uh draft rules as the mainland they're not in the international scouting so they do they don't get the good looks they don't get the scouts down there in puerto rico but they're under the same draft as some kid from clemson or any other american college so that the big complaint there was and since they don't have the education there, that they don't speak English really well, that they don't get into college, that they don't are you know they don't get into a four year college because they can't test well. You know and who they, we need to talk to about this is Edwin Rodriguez, the well, manager in uh, in Lake Elsinore or well, in uh, El Paso. <laughs> we we do. Yeah, I think you guys bring up some good points. I mean, you can't look at their strict bonus amounts in a vacuum. If a lot of it is leverage driven, you know, if it's a high school kid from the states he's going to have more leverage than a college kid if it's a college kid and who's a you know draft eligible sophomore he has more leverage than the senior sign you know so you can't strictly look at the bonus number and say you know dollar for dollar you know this bonus means he's going to be a better player i mean these there are a lot of uh factors you have to weigh in so i think that was a you know a shrewd point bringing up the the fact he's from puerto rico well, and even the round that they're selected in, and it's easy to look at somebody, well, this guy was drafted in the eighth round, that guy was drafted in the 15th round. That doesn't mean that the eighth round guy was a more highly rated prospect than the 15th round guy. It's just they took him in the eighth because they knew they could sign him for cheap. Yeah. And then they held on to sign the 15th round because there's like a bump in talent after they pass the 10th round. It's yeah. it's a weird game that they winds up playing. And to the, the casual observer, it seems pretty simple to say that somebody was a 12th round pick. Well, that 12th round pick signed for a quarter million dollars. That's way more than what the fifth round guy signed right, for. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh, I actually saw a 12th rounder the other day in the Diamondback system. And he signed for over 900K, and he's pretty interesting. The kid's name is Avery Short. <laughs> Avery Short, we'll have to remember that. Is he, in fact, yeah. short? Uh, I don't think so. I think <laughs> I don't know his exact height, but I think he, he looked around maybe 6'2", something like that. Okay, he's a kind of left-handed pitchability guy on the mound. So let's talk, about, let's talk about prospects live. Let's talk about what you're doing in the AZL. And, uh, you know... Are, are you you're just solely writing for prospects live you guys just picked up minor grass like so that's kind of a a, a, a um, collaboration that you guys have having minor league graphs come on board with prospects live yeah yeah that was awesome that was great to get smata into the folds and um i think it's it's an awesome asset to the site i think the site has a lot going for it you know we we try to get out to as many games as we can i mean i 
I'm literally this crazy homeless person that like goes to games, but um, the other guys, you know, they have, they have day jobs and they're going to games on top of it. So, you know, in, in a sense, like that's even more of a commitment and it's uh, it's a lot of work to get out to the fields and cut video and, you know, kind of make observations and um, we're really doing our best to, I would say, get to games and, you know, report and scout and see everything we can. So we're, we're trying to form our own opinions rather than um, kind of reading things and um, just adopting opinions from others. We're trying to kind of be Frank Lucas and go into the, the jungle. And um, I don't know if you guys are getting my American gangster reference, but um, we're, we're trying to get, we're trying to get the firsthand uh, information and really see everything live. And it's a important uh, part of the website. Well, I don't, so like Baseball America has a fairly good minor league coverage, but they tend to highlight the top prospects. Uh, they don't really dig deeper than that. I mean, they'll have the organizational lists, but they're really trying to take that top slice of the guys that are going to be interesting from a major league standpoint. Fangraphs, you've got um, Kylie McDaniel and Eric Longenhagen that on occasion they'll write up somebody who isn't known, but they thought that they were interesting when they had a look at them. Uh, but you guys seem to do a lot more than a lot more of that than what they do. So uh, Donovan was talking about minor graphs. I wanted to take a moment here to explain it to our listeners that aren't familiar with it. So on Prospects Live, there's a like a drop down on the side, and minor graphs is it, so with fan graphs, you can go and see major league stats. You can see people's trends. You can see a whole bunch of different um, statistical breakdowns of what people do. Minor graphs. Um, it, it, from my perspective, it looks like they're they're kind of trying to recreate that with minor league players, which is very interesting to me. So then you see from one level to the next, one year to the next, you how see the things changed. Is, yeah, yeah, and there's a whole bunch of different, and they've got spray charts. There's uh, distributions. There's a bunch of different really interesting things you can do here that go far beyond what you find if you look at somebody's baseball reference page or on fan graphs, it it's, it's, it's a limited amount of, of statistics that you see. So there's a little more, a uh, little more meat on the bone that you get here on minor graphs. It's a very interesting product. Yeah, it was, it was really, really well set up by Smata and, you know, you can look at different metrics. You can look at estimated fly ball distance. You can look at ground ball rates and you can see short-term changes which is kind of interesting so they have there's a feature in here where you can drill into rolling averages and so you can look at 30-day rolling averages and just see how is this player kind of taking making changes in his approach or um what's his pull percentage over what is a, a graph of his pull percentage rolling 30-day average look like and you can you can see all these things graphically and it kind of gives a little insight into changes a player might be making or just different trends um, as it relates to player performance. And I think it's a great resource for us. We were, we were really happy when, um, you know, Smata kind of mutually agreed to join us and um, have, have his stuff up on prospects live. It's a, it's a neat feature. His first name is Jason, right? Jason Smata. Um, I don't actually know his name. It's just, I just refer to him as. Oh, okay. 
He's, 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 this is like an embarrassing omission. I just he's smarter to me. He's just a Twitter handle. He's he's like Madonna or he's, Cher. He's in my phone as Smada, and I just I kind of refer to him as Smada. So so do you find um do, are any organizations? I'm this is kind of a throw out there question, but do you who, other than fantasy guys, who is using this information? What is this information being? Who's using this information other than your like your hardcore fantasy guys? Do you see other organization guys reaching out to your uh, you know using your website or reaching out to you guys or you know because this is a lot of information. I mean, you said you're basically homeless. It's funny, which made me think like you should have like a host family for scouts. Is there a host family for scouts? I don't know. You can't even afford a shirt with the logo in it. Look, not at that you. I'm aware of. Um... And I'm going to physical therapy next month. So, and I know I believe you're a physical therapist. Yeah. Me? Oh no! I think you're thinking of Jason Waddell. Yeah. Okay. I thought both of you guys. Yeah. Were. Yeah. Um, no, I I literally just I don't have a job right now. I just go to games. That's that's this is what I do. Um, so, yeah. Um, wait, what was your question? Well, you're asking about who oh who who uses the website? I think it is. I mean, the majority of the traffic is driven by deep dynasty leagues. I would think and. Um, you know, I wonder if teams do look at it. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I know I know for a fact that there are people with teams that follow me on Twitter. So I don't know if if that means they also look at this, the site and utilize the miners graph portions. And um, I I do think that that teams look at the site. Um, I don't know how they would even have found me otherwise. So, I mean, I I know they look at the site. I think. There are also these sort of um, there's sort of these odd people that speculate on baseball cards and they're always asking us questions on Twitter. You know, is this prospect legit? I'm thinking about buying his card. Maybe they come in here and try to gain some kind of advantage and figure out which players they want to invest um, their money into baseball cards. That's possible. I'm just kind of spitballing here. I don't honestly. I think the majority of it is deep dynasty league traffic, and, and it's fantasy baseball fans. And it's either fantasy baseball fans or people that are very passionate about a major league team, and they want to research the minor leagues, and you know they want to know everything they can know about players in their minor league system. I think most of the traffic are from those two group groups broadly. So. You're based in Arizona, obviously, uh, but I'm looking down through your uh, the articles that you've posted. And uh, in July, did you get a chance to travel to New York? What was the reason for that trip? Oh, in July. So in July, I spent a little time back at my parents' house in Massachusetts. So, yeah, they live in the they live near Foxborough, Mass, which is about 45 minutes south of Boston, and. Yeah, I went back there for three weeks. I wanted to catch a little bit of Cape Cod baseball, so a little bit on the amateur side. And then I also saw a series in Lowell, Mass, which is um, it's short season ball, so it's a lot of it's a lot of recently drafted college players, and then with a few international guys sprinkled in in there. So I I saw a series in Lowell, and then I saw about two and a half weeks of baseball up at the Cape. So yeah, I was living with my parents and driving up to the Cape almost every day to to scout baseball there. The Lowell Mass Spinners are no short season. Yeah, teams. Lowell Spinners. After you know, Lowell was an old textile town. It was one of the. 
I don't know, I guess one of the first uh, textile mills in, in the U.S. was in Lowell, and um, that's kind of what it's known for. It has this kind of old-school charm to it. So is there a mascot for the Lowell Spinners? It's just this ball of yarn. I think, <laughs> like, like, I think, I don't, I think it is. It's just this, like, Spool kind of, bread, it's guys. a spinner. It's this, I don't know. Well, which reminds me of the uh, uh, the vibe, the, the the Rocky Mountain vibe in in Colorado. They're now a short season team, who uh, who their mascot is. It's a s'more. It's a s'more. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> is that the team that's in Colorado Springs now? Yeah, yeah. They okay. during the affiliate shuffle in 2018, everyone moved around, and it was yeah. uh, that Grand Junction used to be AAA, but uh, yeah, Colorado Springs, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's so, interesting. Apparently, in Lowell, there is a family of gators that are their mascots. Uh, can alligator. Can alligator. Alley gator is a female. Um, and, and these are very cartoonish. Oh my gosh! And Millie gator. Uh, yeah, they've got a whole family of gators that are the the mascots there in Lowell. <laughs> okay, well, we're getting way. Uh, getting, uh, we appreciate you taking your time. Now we're just kind of wasting it. Jason, what are you guys working on right now? And um, is there anything you want to plug right now? So, yeah, right now I'm last week I sat on the Diamondbacks and I'm going to write up some more notes on their system. It's it's going to be very similar to what I wrote for for you guys with the Padres one team. And I'm I'm kind of trying to use that format and. I'm just going to be out in Arizona basically through the end of August seeing AZL games. And then shortly thereafter, I'll be out here seeing Instructs in Arizona Fall League. So really, there's there's no reprieve at all until uh, really the end of October is when the, the baseball ends for me. And and then, you know, this offseason, I'm thinking about trying to pick up coding because that's just a skill that is kind of coveted in baseball if if there's this person that can code and kind of somewhat scout, then that's kind of the valuable skill set, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people would have. So you're talking like Python and C plus and that kind of stuff. Yeah, SQL, SQL and R are the two that I'm, I'm going to try to focus on first. But um, yeah, Python and and C plus plus are, are examples of that too. Um, but yeah, pretty much just right now I'm focused on the AZL and just seeing if I can scout the basically scout this league as well as I can the next uh next month or so. So I like the format of what you what you did, at least with the Padres one, where there were a few guys that you went into it knowing I want to see these guys. And then there were a few other people that maybe you didn't you didn't know about or you just kind of they caught your eye and you decided to write them up. Um the one guy that we haven't talked about on your list so far is Tirso Ornelas. Um he's somebody that we've been following for quite a while. And he was struggling this year. They sent him down to the ACL right before you had a chance to look at him. Um, so, what was your take on on why he's struggling this year? And do you see a clear path to get him back? Yeah. So when I saw him in ACL, it was it was a little discouraging. It was a little bit more of, you know, I think what was happening in in the Cal League where. He was striking out at a 27% clip over 300 plate appearances before he got demoted and or sent down, whatever, however you want to phrase it. And I just looked at him and I see a pretty long swing. He has a fairly late hitch in his swing where he brings his hands back up towards his shoulders right before he 
starts to bring the the barrel back down through the zone and i think that just creates a lot of length to his swing it just it makes him kind of late to the party with getting his bat through the zone and i think that exposes him to swing and miss and not only swing and miss but when he does get the bat in a little more on time he's kind of chopping down at the ball and hitting weak ground ball contacts and that was what I saw a lot of in my my looks in the AZL. And, you know, he's not – he was he was very young for the level. So the, the Cal League assignment was fairly aggressive this year. Um, but looking at him, even in the AZL, he was pretty much age-appropriate for rookie league. But I wasn't physically – I mean, he's a strong kid, and I – I think you look at him and say, this is a ball player, but yeah, he passes the I, eye test for sure. He passes the eye test, but I just came away really underwhelmed with the, the hitting mechanics. And I have serious doubts about his ability to tap into his raw power. And I think, I think if he's not able to do that, then I don't think you can project him as being a major league player because the defense is okay, but I don't look at the defense and think, this is a guy who can make it on defense alone. It's the bat is going to need to play to a large degree for him to make it. And I just, I don't see it happening right now. I think that realistically there'd be there would need to be some kind of swing overhaul that would need to happen in order for him to more consistently tap into his power. Yeah. The bat was supposed to be his calling card coming yeah. into this year. I, that was what carried him in Fort Wayne. And so it's, it's, disappointing and deflating that this guy that we've had our eyes on and then the one tool that's supposed to be a standout tool falls flat um and you talked earlier about how hard it is to make mechanical changes to a swing uh the kid's still young so we're hoping that they can figure something out um and like we said on a previous show he's in the right place to be surrounded by coaches and trainers and you know whatever help he needs to try to get back on track so we have our fingers crossed for two or so because on top of being an interesting looking player, he's also a really good kid. Yeah, good kid. Great, 80 grade jaw. <laughs> yeah, he's got that real solid <laughs> jawline. <laughs> he's a handsome man. I'll, I'll give him a at least a 60, maybe a 70. Very handsome. Well, and he's got the braces still. So after he gets yeah. the braces off, then he'll uh, he'll jump up half a grade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm projecting. <laughs> well, hey, Jason, we really appreciate you taking your time and talking to us here. Um, more sunscreen, more water. Uh, keep up doing what you're doing. You guys, uh, Prospects Live is just, it's a premier website on all all minor league guys. And the minor league graphs is, is fantastic. All the writing is excellent. Um, one of you guys, God, I'm trying to find him. He, uh, one of you guys on the on the, uh, on the the website has been interacting with us on, on Twitter, on Padres Twitter. Not necessarily me and you, but uh, I've seen him. A little bit yesterday after the Taylor Chamel, and um, that's been fantastic. So uh, do, just keep doing what you're doing, and we'll talk to you soon. And uh, we'll probably talk to you when the AZL and Instructs start. Yeah, I'm hoping to make yeah, my way yeah. out there for the Arizona Fall League. I would love to be able to come out for that. Yeah, if you guys are out, definitely let me know. I'd, I'd love to meet up for a game or something. And, uh, yeah, if, if you ever want to talk more ball, you know, let, just let me know. I'd be happy to come on. Absolutely, and if you ever make your way out here to San Diego, we can throw you on. We, we have a couch for you, bro. Um, yes. Yeah, we'll. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna write that down. The burritos out here are fantastic. And, you know, and, and I say that, and my wife goes, "You don't even know that guy." I'm like, 
dude, we had him on the podcast twice. Like, it's going to be okay. He's not going to, like, steal our stuff. The, you know? the, the, we call it the friend of the podcast. Right, yeah. the friend of the podcast for a reason. Well, that happened with, and we'll just kind of, just let me talk about this for a minute. Um, Turnip Parrot Chris uh, from Turnip Parrot Podcast. You know, I jokingly told, said on, hey, man, when you come out here to San Diego, you know, we can, you know, we got a spare room. And, and my wife saw that, and she's like, what are you talking about? You don't know the guy. I'm like, yeah, but, I mean, come on. He's got a wife and kids. It's not like he's going to come out here and kill us. Like, it's just a, it's courtesy. Maybe it's all just a front to make people comfortable. No. Well, he ended up coming out, and I ended up, you know, having a couple of days off, and I drove him and his wife up to La Jolla. We I picked him up from the airport. Yeah, you we know. met up with him before the game. Yeah. yeah. Super nice guy. It's a, the, the whole baseball community, having this podcast also brings that community together, and Jason, you're part of that community. Yeah, man. I would love to hang out in San Diego. It's a great city, and uh, it's been too long since I've been there. So, yeah, that'd be fun. All right, well, hit us up. But in the meantime, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You guys are awesome. Thanks, Jason.